This is the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that the views expressed are of the individuals and do not represent their employers and should not be taken as advice. Please do your own research and seek advice from an appointed professional. Hi, I'm Hannah Follaby. I'm founder and managing director of Mood and Space. Today, we're here to discuss digitizing the planning system uh, for season two of the Property Development Book Club podcast. I'm here with some great, panelists. Uh, so looking forward to hearing this discussion. I'll start with Adewale. Please introduce yourself. I'm Adewale, director at A-Lake, which specialises in property development. Um, we are looking for sites between 1 to 20 units and um, I'm glad to be part of this conversation today. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> my, my name's Joss Pink. Uh, I'm the managing director of Landstack. Uh, we provide a standardised set of planning data across the whole of England and Wales helps companies find land uh, and identify sites. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Harry Quartermain. I'm a, I'm a town planning consultant, chartered town planner. Um, a job I've been doing for about um, 12, 13 years in the, uh, in the private sector. So I've worked in, um, uh, in the UK and also in Australia. So I've worked for public and private sector clients across a range of you know, development management and policy issues. Uh, my name is Alex Philpott, I'm Principal Planning Policy Officer at BeFirst, so uh, working on delivering the local plan for Barking and Tangham Council, um, supplementary planning documents and yeah, the whole sp- uh, sort of suite of uh, planning documents for the council. Yeah, so I've got a, a bunch of highly skilled people <laughs> here today. I guess the first question then is, um, to set the scene, is how does uh, the planning system operate? And I guess Alex would be perfect to answer. Um, yes, I mean, the, the planning system at the, at the moment is very much a sort of paper-based system. Um, it's very difficult to um, sort of get into the sort of the data and the information that, that sort of lies behind planning. Um, and it's very difficult for sort of members of the public to understand really what you know, we're sort of, as, as sort of local council planners, we're proposing to deliver in, in the, uh, sort of in the borough or the council as well. So um, it'd be very much to sort of, good to sort of discuss digitising the planning system to make it more accessible for um, sort of members of the public and, and really sort of allow people to, to properly understand where development is happening, what, what that development looked like um, as well. Yeah. And so, Harry, uh, what would you say then are the government's aims to digitise? Well, <coughs> first I'd, li- I'd like to qu- question the, the premise of that question. <laughs> the, the question was how does the planning system operate? And I think if you listen to anyone in central government mm. you'd be forgiven for thinking it doesn't operate at the moment <laughs> that there are two two sides to the planning system one is plan making and the other is assessing applications against the plan mm. and on both sides of that um of that uh system there are severe delays mm. there are um there are ap- uh, plans being withdrawn due to various reasons mm. there's uh, there's a you know it can have delays of years and years in the making of a local plan and then when you get to the the actual assessment of applications that can take a long time too Mm. um i'd go so far as to say at the moment we have a system of of planning by appeal because there's so much of the of the applications um uh, throughput that gets refused by councillors at the moment and ends up with the planning inspectorate so the planning system is creaking at the seams right now Mm -hmm. um so the question of uh, a question for how does the planning system operate? I'd say it doesn't yeah. <laughs> at the moment. Fair enough. Um, uh, so to answer your other question, the, yeah. government, the government's aims are to um, to simplify and speed up the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, th- there's a, there's a, a recurring view 
in, in governments, and this isn't li limited to, um, to the British government, the, um, about the English planning system, that planning is a, is a problem to, yeah. to, um, that gets in the way of development and stifles investment. Uh, I, I, as a planner, would like to see that turned around and you know, plan planning has got the potential to be a massive enabler for development, a creator of wealth and, mm -hmm. a, and a creator of places and the environments we want to live in. Mm. So I'm, I'm hoping the government's aims are, are to, to, to facilitate that. Yeah, yeah. I guess on your point around it doesn't operate, is I want to kind of like switch over to Joss. <laughs> <laughs> um, why was Landsack important then? Yeah, in, so, in a so it's a very good question. Yeah, we, I mean, uh, we've basically founded Landstack as more of a frustration, mm -hmm. out of frustration, which was, you know, this information is incredibly hard to get to, it's incredibly hard to put together as well, and imp incredibly hard to keep up to date. And the problem is, you know, 320 odd different local authorities in England and Wales, that's 320 different ways of doing things. And so the reason we created Landstack was to standardize that. So mm -hmm. irrespective of where you're looking, you get the same information, same quality, regardless of the local authority you're in, uh, which kind of leads into sort of what um, Harry was saying. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to pick up on one thing, which was when we're talking about digitizing the system, who did we digitize it for? We digitized it for house builders, promoters, land agents, because you know if you're, if you're going to spend all this money doing that work, yeah. you need to get something out of it. But when the government think about digitizing it, yeah. they need to be thinking about, about digitizing it, not just for professionals, yeah. people who also have good GIS skills. They need to think about digitizing it for the public um, and, and pretty much anybody who wants to, mm. to sort of be involved in, yeah. in planning. Uh, which is a slight, you know, we had to worry about probably one third of the problems that if you were digitizing the system, you'd need to worry about um, overall, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, actually, you know, the ability for the public to uh, see local plans, comment on planning applications, comment on local plans, interact with, with things, uh, just as a single point is, is something we don't even need to think about. So um, in some ways, we had a much simpler uh, task. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, I think that answers yeah. your question. But so what do you think about the, the government's desire to digitize things? Um, <laughs> I think I'll, um, I'll say there's a couple different, uh, yeah, there's a couple of different ways you can come at it. I think, uh, I think if it, there's, the, there's the one approach which is potentially people might suggest that the government, you know, it's not in essentially local government's interest to digitize that well. Um, I think really the reason it hasn't been digitized uh, it probably stems more into a, a funding issue, a knowledge issue, um, and, a, and a practicality issue. It's actually, in some ways, quite difficult to design a system that, that has you know, really well digitized data. Mm -hmm. um, you need quite a lot of knowledge and know-how in terms of um, how to build a, you know, servers and, and GIS systems that you, know, you can actually add this information mm -hmm. to. Um, um, so I think, and fundamentally, you know, you, that costs a lot of money to do as well. Um, and yeah, and then if you think about 320 different approaches to that problem, yeah. some people will pick the right way and some people definitely it, won't. <coughs> it's a spectrum, isn't yeah. it? Mm -hmm. So you've got some councils that are, that are doing it really well. Um, Plymouth springs to mind, mm -hmm. you know, they've, they've got up and set up, a, a, a appointed a data officer, they've got, you know, the data has been, um, you know, drawn together and then feeds into to, um, other services, which is great, you know, because you need, you know, as Josh will say, you'll, you'll need the data to, to, to back up the, the system. If you don't have that, um, then uh, you can't digitize. No, yeah. I guess then, is it in the interest of local government to keep the planning system analog? 
I think, um, yeah, I mean, local government would like to keep it analog because it'd be less work and sort of um, sort of less t uh, sort of complicated things to have to go through. But I think it's a necessity to be able to to open up the information that we've got at, at the moment and that that data. Yeah. I mean, who, who do you mean by local government? Because because yeah. it, is it is it the councillors or is it the uh, is it the officers? Because I think one of the issues that um, uh, is present at the moment is there's a massive under resource in mm. local in local authorities. You know. Mm -hmm. um, we're at a stage at the moment where, where even the planning performance agreements, which are which are designed to allow extra funding for mm. applications, aren't happening because there aren't the staff to take to up the funding. It, yeah. So, w with that in mind, um, the great opportunity from from a from speeding up the system through digitising parts of it yeah. allows resources to be freed up. So, I think actually it's in everyone's interest yeah. that um, that. The, there is some element of digitization in the system to kind of grease the wheels of, of, um, of the process to make things happen more quickly. I think an interesting part of it is um, if you digitize things well, in theory, it should make the whole process easier. And I think a lot of local people will probably feel very frustrated interacting with a lot of the local plans and information, which yeah. probably means that then when actually you get to the point where they want to comment on stuff, you know, the fact that they've had to probably spend an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out what's actually going on, mm -hmm. by the time they get to actually, do I want planning on my back door, the answer will probably be, F no. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're already frustrated. Hello, yeah, you know, yeah, there, yeah. There, was, there was something I mentioned around submitting a planning application and mm -hmm. getting it validated. How many applications do you find that are invalid in its own, in its very right? And that takes up officer time to yeah. go through every document and say that's incorrect, that's incorrect. You didn't include this, you didn't include that. Go again, assess it again. So there's that software called PlanX, mm. which I'm sure you've heard yeah. about, and I think they work in Southwark, yeah. Plymouth, I believe, and one other council, and they try to re at least remove the validation issues from the front end for small scale applications. And it's whether we can have something similar for large-scale developers or large-scale developments because I think that from a technology point of view to answer your question I think that local government will probably need it for areas where they need help with which is probably validation whether it's um, assessing the application just to see if there's buzzwords to get through like you know your development management policies etc yeah. and then just print a report out for the planning officer to say yeah. tick 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 design and then you can put in Planning officers can use their opinion to then yeah. subjectively assess design, which is where I think they should be spending their time and not looking at policies and looking at compliance and stuff. But then, to be slightly cynical, mm -hmm. outside of the actual process of like the planning process, and I think you mentioned about it being engaging for the end, like end users and local people. Why are we still using A4 sheets of paper and mm. font size 10 to notify the public about planning issues? And so it goes back to the question, I guess it's probably better, to whose benefit is it that it's remaining a paper-based analog system? Is it, is it partially because um, it takes resource to think about it doing it a different way and That's there isn't the resource, people have got their, you know, their they're so stretched doing the bare minimum mm. that actually being a bit more um, inventive about it is it takes a, a bit of uh, a bit of slack in the system to allow that uh, invention to happen. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the local authorities that are are doing these things, and they've been able to get that additional resource mm. to do that above and um, the sort of the current planning sort of applications and um, doing their local plan as yeah. well. So it does need that 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 resource over and above what's already there at the moment, so people can sort of focus on. Um, sort of digitising and creating these new systems because it is a, a whole sort of new 
um, workload in itself, like in, in sort of starting from the scratch and yeah. developing these new, new mm. sort of digitised systems. Yeah, yeah. so you, you mentioned around notices mm -hmm. and who's in, in whose benefit is it for there to be notices. The Town and Country Planning Act is, was put together 1990 mm -hmm. and there was various iterations over the past 70 years. So to change the tenets of the law or the legislation to change it to more digital means, that is a very fundamental, because one is, is around, if you were to send a letter to someone, how do you verify that that person's seen it? Email. Let's unpack that for a bit. <laughs> because you're right, there are elements of the planning system yeah. that are primary legislation. Mm -hmm. There are also elements that are in, in various guidance and, and policy documents yeah. that are not. Mm -hmm. um, so there are some bits that are easier to change than others. Yeah. Like, you know, it's much easier, for example, to update the MPPF than it is to, to oh. change the Act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, similarly, there are elements of planning, holistically, that are um, widely known about, often misunderstood, mm -hmm. the example being Greenbelt. Um, yes. You know, everyone, if you, it's the thing you might see on the front page of the paper, but if you ask someone in the street what it meant, they would undoubtedly mm -hmm. get it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and there are elements of the planning system which are um, you know, seemingly arcane and so complex, but actually changing them wouldn't tug on the heartstrings that you would get if you tried to change the Greenbelt. Mm -hmm bit of the planning system, yes, but could make a massive difference to the, um, to the outcomes you, we're talking about. The example there is the, the data standard stuff in the levelling up and regeneration bill, if that ever comes to, <laughs> to pass. <laughs> well, actually, because we've now started talking about politics to some extent, <laughs> how much does politics have an impact on the, I guess, the digitising of planning and or not? I would say it, it, at the moment it hugely does, but it really doesn't need to, mm -hmm. in the sense that I think you can create a, sta a standard for how data should be published, how it should be presented, completely um, separate to what information is actually in there. You could change planning laws, but as, as long as you have like a, you know, a, a requirement for, the, for data to be published in a certain way, in a certain format, mm -hmm. and so on and so mm -hmm. forth, you could you know, go, go as, as hard as you want in terms of changing local plan policy and everything else really the digitization of it can be separate and i think i think that's what they they're already thinking is that you know re almost regardless of what we think from a politics point of view mm -hmm. um, the information can be presented in the correct way and digitally yeah. I, I, that at least that should be what's that happened should be ha but yeah. then if we if we think about the the, the, the turbulence around our government mm. and how policies are changing left right and center depending mm. on who's the face or the housing minister mm -hmm. at the time and at the time of this recording we have one but who knows what happens <laughs> when this comes out <laughs> you know it could change again um and what that does to you know the leveling up bill or yeah. other bills of its kind to desire and the desire to digitize for, oh, for, for the reasons i was just mm. talking about with you know there's elements of the of the planning system that really do tug on people's heartstrings yeah. so it does take political capital mm. to, to um to force through um planning change. Mm -hmm. um, I saw this in, in, in New South Wales when I was working in Australia that they, they uh, introduced a you know, all bells and whistles planning reform, you know, everything was included, root and branch change um, and politically it didn't work, it got, it got undermined in the, in the parliament, it didn't, it didn't come to pass and then they spent the next 
four or five years putting in place all the changes they needed to do yeah. piece by piece through secondary legislation to get the system where they wanted it to get mm. to. So sometimes it's the little changes that make the most difference, yeah. not the big changes. Not the big changes. Well, okay, so if that in, with that being the case, what should be in place then? Like what, what should the planning system look like from a digitised yeah, I think we, we do want a system where all of that information is available in more accessible forms, in interactive maps, in um, sort of having policies more easily sort of digestible within sort of online documents and things like that. But what you saw in, you know, in, in lockdown and the pandemic is like obviously there was a very quick transition to digital um, techniques and means and we did a, a local plan examination in the middle of the lockdown yeah. where we had to fully utilise all the online resources mm. and the backlash you got saying that the people aren't able to sort of see the documents and they can't access it and requesting for hard copies was was, in, was immense um, because people still want that sort of hard copy, the sort of hard paperback local plan that they can read through. But can I ask how, like, I guess the demographics of the people who are asking for hard copy mm. and the percentage they made up of the community. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was a much older uh, demographic because yeah, there's sort of it's it's much more difficult for them to access that. But but we do have to consider that when when sort of advertising or consulting yeah. um, the plan. The, yeah. I think the, the example you use is, is one of many projects that have gone through that process through lockdown. And you know, I think it's interesting because you can see through the um, the use of uh, online consultation tools, what the what the um, kind of visitorship is at those websites mm. in a much much clearer way than you can. You know, if you're holding a consultation event in yeah. a village hall, you yeah. get you get a certain demographic of people who turn up. Whereas if it's on a website, you get people logging on when they want, seeing yeah. wh what they want, and uh, engaging with the bits that are available on their own terms. Mm. Which it's surely got to be good for democracy Definitely. and good for the system. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I think planning, if people get that planning is actually a, de is a, a should be a de democratic mm. process. And because it's not easily accessible, it's actually not a democratic process. Yeah. And um, there is a large population of people who aren't consulted at all mm. throughout the process because it's not done in a convenient enough time for them to be able to access mm. the information. But you know, Hannah, I wanna, this is a grenade, yeah? This is, this, is, this is something that just dawned on me as you were just speaking mm. about the local plan in Barking and Dagenham at the time. Now, the issue I have at the moment around digitalization is the active people that get involved in the planning process generally may not engage through digital means. So then what, does, what happens when you've got art, because if you look at the age demographics of the UK, there was, I think, I'm not sure if there's more older people than there are younger people. With that disparity, is digitalization the answer? Well, you're planning for the future, aren't you? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Thank the, you, Harry. The, the, the plan that Alex is putting together at Embarking and Dagenham is a, you know, it's a, it's got a 20 year um, horizon. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're putting pl things in place for people where, th that will be there when I'm an old person, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I hope that the planning system then is is of a state that I will still feel I'm able to engage in it. Yeah. I, uh, I think also the key point is it's, it's much easier to go from digital to analog than it is to go from analog to digital, right? Yeah. So if you've got a PDF, like we spend blooming ages trying to digitize those. Mm. They're, they're really difficult to digitize. Whilst mm. if you've got the data in whatever format you want, okay, fine, if people want to be able to download it and so on, 
that's a technological problem that's been solved a long time yeah. ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the, uh, the crucial point is, and it's a really important point, is you, you do need to, and it's a problem with not just planning, but with all services that yeah. become digitized, is you do need to cater for people who aren't as digitally literate. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's not a reason not to do it, no. if you see what yeah. I'm saying. You, yeah. you, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, a pro it's easier going one way than the other. And yeah, I think and I guess it's the point of access, is that if you're accessing more people, you can still do your, you know, 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. town hall, it's just you're giving a lot more options that weren't there, yeah. you know, and, and, and we should be engaging the youth in what the future of their spaces look like. We should be politicizing the youth about consulting and improving on areas because at the end of the day, they will be the ones who are left with it in the long term. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to also, uh, uh, COVID, I think if anything was the number one catalyst of a digital revolution, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was probably COVID. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I think I attended a planning committee online mm -hmm. and all of the considerations were done online. Mm -hmm. And I, we got planning permission for like 400 homes yeah. at the conference. I was sitting in my shorts, <laughs> I had my shirt on. <laughs> so I think that um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see what, what the negative aspects of existence has on how we can obviously digitize and particularly with planning determinations, the local plan consultation that you said we did online, which was quite phenomenal. And hopefully this issue with the housing crisis that we're in, I don't think it's a big enough problem for people to actually want to say, you know what, we now need to make a massive change towards digitization. But I don't know if anyone else has got an opinion on that. Well, I would say that, that what we did learn from, from the pandemic is because of that sort of immediate change between everything being sort of accessible through sort of paper-based means um, to being completely online, people did find that very difficult to catch up with and, and there was sort of a big uh, sort of backlash about that. But what we did find is sort of eventually, once we sort of got people into sort of understanding where the information was and how you can access it, people were quite happy, you know, looking at it and getting through it. So I think that's something that the government does need to do is, is find that kind of sort of middle ground or balanced approach where you are bringing people into a more digitised planning system but it's done in a way where people are sort of catching up with it and they get to understand how yeah. the change is happening. Yeah. Hi my name is Alex Philpott from Be First. I've just been discussing digitising the planning system on the Property Development Book Club podcast at City Hall. Uh, my name is Harry Quartermain. I'm a Chartered Town Planner, Planning Consultant and I have been talking about digitising the planning system on the Property Development Book Club podcast in the City Hall. My name is Joss Pink from Landstack and I've been talking about digitising planning on the Property Development Book Club podcast. I'm Adam Wally, Director at A-Lake and you are watching Season 2 of the Property Development Book Club podcast sponsored by Mood and Space. One of the, one of the issues is, um, is how, not, not just if it's digitised, but how it's digitised, mm -hmm. what, what it actually looks like, what the user experience is. Mm -hmm. So much of like, um, you know, in a person's interaction with government online is is designed so that the user interface is actually user friendly and you can kind of find your way through it um, that isn't the case with <laughs> with, with planning portals like you look at idocs which is the system that, that everyone that, uses yeah, yeah. Uh, it's obtuse it really like hard. it's you know you get yeah. you get pages and pages of, of uh, file names of pdfs that you've got to work out what's what and you know as a planning consultant it's difficult so yeah. as, a, as a member of the public it's it's almost impossible i just wonder why they do that as well like why can't they just link an application instead of having it ha sorry this is a real big <laughs> real big bugbear for me. It's just a, like an obvious way to 
make life yeah. a little bit easier for the well, end user. Well, I was um, uh, really listening on the way over here to the um, the LPA showcase mm. that the, the, uh, the central government ran recently, mm -hmm. and one of the things that came out of that was. Um, was that one of the biggest issues was the getting the information out of iDocs and putting it into anything else. So, you know, it's that kind of black boxing of, of digital solutions, yeah. you know. So, you know, to the extent where open data surely has got to be... It's an interesting, it's a really interesting question, which is also how far does the government go and then at what point kind of does the private sector, so to speak, take over? And mm -hmm. I think that's a, diff that's a really difficult question to answer yeah. because in some ways I think the government should, you know, as much as they can incentivize local authorities to publish it in, a, in an open way, mm -hmm. but then it should then be free for all because the private sector brings competition, innovation, all these sort, all these sort of things that is quite difficult often for the government yeah. to do. But there's a level that I think I think we probably all agree at the level this is. There's a level at which it should be open and free. It, it in the way that it sh supposedly is now, it should be just much better. You know, the UX point is, is really important. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, land registry yeah. and what they've done with Geovation. Mm -hmm. And with the fact that they made all of the data sets mm -hmm. free, mm -hmm. it's innovated the likes of Landstack, yeah. Searchland, LandInsight. Because without Land Registry making that information available, mm -hmm. there is no way that you guys will have mm -hmm. the resources to be able to purchase that level of information. Yeah, absolutely. And also the yeah. Ordnance Survey as well. Ordnance the Survey, same thing. yeah, I correct. Mean, yeah, the land registry is not cheap, but it's yeah. I mean, that is an interesting point as well. Is uh, there, I, I'd love to have a discussion, maybe not for today, but on on uh, options and things within land registry titles okay. in in terms of how people could bring that uh, and digitize that. That's all. You know, the number of people that are all. I mean, it funds the land registry. I understand yeah. that, but the number of people that are well, probably all buying the same land registry title, spending three pounds, mm. it, it's like it's unreal. I mean, yeah. we have a system to do it through and we see people the number of titles that are bought every day is, is like ridiculous um, and that's something where it doesn't you know there's still obviously there's personal information gdpr issues within that but the fact that there's an option agreement on a piece of land the fact that there's all these different things which could make the the land market itself function much quicker if people could just go that piece of land's option you know that piece of land is controlled mm -hmm. things like that would would help massively yeah. Um, and it's in, a, in some ways it's but a barrier entry. Yeah, <laughs> I knew you would like that. <laughs> what if you took a step back when you talk about like planning zoning and mm -hmm. and like um, and the consultations that mm -hmm. have been on around that mm -hmm. planning? And so maybe that's not for land registry, but a digitizing the planning around mm -hmm. a piece of land mm -hmm. that speeds up the process also for mm -hmm. developers, but in understanding as to how many people have been consulted already, mm -hmm. and so not having to replicate. So that you know the, fra the framework of what you just mentioned. When you look at the digital local plans that you talk about, the interactive maps, a lot of the information in the infrastructure is already there mm. and it's been it's functioning and it works. So I, I was looking at a site um, that I found on a software, <laughs> <laughs> Searchland. Um, um, so I found, I found the site and I went on, but the issue is when I went onto the digital um, local plan, it told me all the issues, green belt, um, protected, this, that and the third. So my thing now is, how do we make those um, digital local plans more interactive and it's more user-friendly? Because they're not user-friendly and they're not the easiest to read. Yeah, and I think, um, so you think back to sort of when, when I sort of got into planning, sort of playing those sort of games mm -hmm. or sort of city building um, games, that all that information is right in front of you to make those decisions about mm -hmm. the, the congestion, the housing need, um, sort of flooding and all that kind of stuff. So if you had that, all that information in front of you, it's much easier to make those decisions about where development should go. But the, the, the problem is, is that 
um, in those sort of games, you're not having to consult with the community as well. Yeah. Um, so that's the other thing is like you've got all these different technologies coming in, but how do you build in sort of community consultation and, and allowing people to get um, sort of better access to that information? Because yeah. it is all really useful stuff that people would want to see about mm -hmm. where the housing allocation is, is it impacted by flooding and greenbelt and things like that. Mm -hmm. Having all that information all there in one place will make it much easier for people to, to get involved. But it's just how do you bring sort of connect that. Uh, oh, oh, pulling it all together in one place is great and I think the government has done some steps towards that but on as with any database it's only ever as good as the data you put into it. Mm -hmm. um, so I was looking at the, um, the national map of planning data that was released recently and looking at there's brownfield registers on there and stuff and you can see that some of that is quite old mm. <laughs> um, so it's, it's you know round of applause for actually getting this far but then you need to work out what data is going into it and verify that and data for example the greenbelt map that they publish every year mm. uh, on data.gov there, there was a year they published it probably two three years ago where there, the, the greenbelt for Cheltenham was just missing Right, just wasn't there, right? So if you download that and you trust that, then yeah. you're thinking, well, blimey, there's no green belt there. Off we go. And yet, and, you know, there was a huge gaps in it and huge problems in the data. And I think that's that's potentially, you know, something that is uh, with that data is wrong. I think that's why, as I was alluding to earlier, with the public and private sector, is I think the government probably, in my opinion, would need to build these systems for the public, for the general public, for ease of use. If you want hardcore planning and you want to do sort of serious site finding and things like that, that's not really the government's job to build a tool for that. Yeah. But they need to make the data really available so that the private sector can innovate. And then, and then it's competition. It's like it kind of is now, mm -hmm. but it would be like it is now on steroids in, in, in that sense. You know, there would be yeah. hundreds of companies. The ease of access would be really useful. And then people could start applying you know, machine learning and all these other different mm -hmm. things to it. Which would then, you know, you know, make the process so much easier. All the companies that are like mine and others that are doing it now are spending a huge amount of time redigitizing and digitizing all this information. If you see what I'm saying, mm -hmm. that's that. In terms of, it's an interesting conversation to have as to where the government should stop and who they should design for as well. Mm -hmm. I think the probably speaking, you know, the everyman. Um, but so if just for the everyman and not for the privatized on steroids version and, yeah. <laughs> and women, yeah, yeah thank yeah, you for yeah. including us. <laughs> um, for, the, um, for, for the everyman and for the, the gen general public, who should, what should it look like? Yeah, yeah that is what the question, yeah. what should it actually be functioning yeah. as? Yeah. And obviously Australia is a really good example, but what, sh what, are, we, what are we aiming for? Yeah. What, what you know the um, the general public's interaction with planning generalization here mm. is about how it affects them yes right yeah, so, so so um, it's about you know what's happening in my neighborhood mm -hmm. and you know the houses either side of my house you know how's that going to affect me um, so the, the, that's about consultation to a large extent it's about to what extent um, uh, they are either informed or they go seeking this information. Mm. And again, there's more that can be done very simply mm. now. The, the, there's a flood, flood map tool that the, the government have created. It's obviously the classic government style, which literally just starts with it's not. It doesn't present you with a map or anything else. It just says put your postcode in. Right? Yeah. And so in some ways, it, maybe it should be that. It's put your postcode in, off you go, and great, here's your, here's your postcode, maybe even here's your house, here's what's going on around mm. you. And then I think the important thing would be, and this is probably a difficult problem, the more difficult bit, is to then how do you explain 
what even what an allocation is to you know someone who doesn't know you'd have to explain you know what is a SSSI for example mm. is it good or is it bad if someone sees huge purple splodges <laughs> and you know they're gonna you know who knows what that might think mm. but I think that's kind of I would go along that sort of route it needs to be you know really simple and easy just to go to right here's where I'm living here's what's going on yeah um, that's what I would suggest yeah, I mean, um, sort of just thinking, um, sort of we've got all these really good ideas and, and innovations and technologies coming out from different local authorities and private sector companies. But what local authorities need to know is what is the package that that all means? Like, what, what does it mean in terms of adding all that information and how does it get used? Do we need to sort of plan this, the, like replan the planning system around the, the sort of package that's developed to say, well, now we've got all this uh, sort of interactive AI system, like how, this is how you consult on the application, this is how you get people involved, and this is how you assess it based on sort of this new way of, of looking at the data. Isn't that all tied back to what the regulations require though? Mm. Because one of the issues we've got at the moment is there's lots of, of potential for innovation, but every time you, try something new, you then have to tie yourself in knots to demonstrate how the new thing is just as good as the old thing, mm. which is required by the regs. Yeah. You know, yeah. and the requirement for, um, you know, for site notices, you yeah. know, being that... Uh, it has know. to be, yeah, physical, it, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, yeah. yeah. But why does it have to be physical A4 piece of paper? Why can't it be a digitized board that is in your stations as advertised, you know, in your spaces. Why yeah. does it have to be that? Because and is, there's not many stations enough no, to sustain. I mean, even, even <laughs> if, if you think about the totems, if you think about the wayfinding interventions they have that are now digitized, that could be where you just say, a, a retail shop is changing in your area. Click here to find out more. That's it. And and if you could, if you could, if you could break it down. So and I, I guess it's the point about resource, but. The regulations, yes, there is a specific way it says that it has to be, but that could be converted to digital mm. means of communication. And there's also a way of writing regulation mm. that 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 um, should be investigated that uh, that means that a minimum mm -hmm. is required, a minimum standard mm. is required, but doesn't stop um, innovations from yeah. doing other things that yeah. meet those standards. Yeah. If they're really specific, then it stops everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you also have to think like, um, are we just sort of tweaking the legislation to sort of meet the usual processes of, of that we've been doing things? Mm. Um, like you say with the site notices, I mean, we've, we've tried before to put like little QR codes and make it a bit more digital, but no one really used them. We have to think, is that really the best way that we're actually sort of um, getting people involved in the planning system and, and sort of getting um, sort of consultation responses. Maybe it's a, we have to think a bit bigger and say, well, what is the actual sort of way that we need to get people involved in in understanding planning applications and commenting on them? Because it's obviously not working the way it is yeah. at the moment. But I wonder though, is the QR code where people don't actually use them just a reflection of how little people read the notices? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Is that do, uh, you know, instead of um, trying to make them more digital, we should be asking, is that really the best way? Yeah, because um, you know, the, I think the thing around the, the whole digitalization of planning that we've talked about mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. One element is where we know that automization and having digitalizing the process will make, that will create massive efficiencies. But we also have to be conscious that there's also a human element that comes with officiating this type of complicated system. So I think that in addition to what you mentioned around legislation, you could say site notice. However, you can also do X, Y, and Z so that we're catering for the digital generation as well as people that may want to read site notices because in my local area we had a, a cpz and i didn't know that there was going to implement a cpz i did i was just not aware of it until i walked past the shop 
and there was um you know the shops they normally have news and the newsstand and it would say council proposing cpz <laughs> i'm like what's this so do you see what i mean where if it was digital and it was a qr code there is no way in the world i would have brought my phone out to say oh yeah, because um, yeah. so I'm, I'm walking around in, in, in Greenwich and there's so much development going on at the moment and I've got no way of knowing, you know, what, what is the proposal here? Like how many homes are being built in total? And you, you, you sort of look on the planning application search um, website and you, you, you put in your, the address where you think it's going to happen and you get like a 101 different things that are completely irrelevant to what you're looking for. All you want to know is just, OK, what, what's happening? in? I've in got an idea, actually. Maybe someone here may <laughs> decide to do it. So, you know, Internet of Things, IoT. Yeah. If you look at the Samsung um, fridges yeah. it will, and some Windows and Apple, they always give you an update based on your local area. So mm. it would say your weather is X. Mm. Um, this is happening in this financial market, etc. There is no reason why the government can't invest in updates. So you're in this location, bing, yeah. planning application has just been submitted for 1,000 homes, so your home's going to be demolished. But that type of, exactly. So all of that type of stuff, I reckon that it is well within the government's power because the resources are there, the technology is there for us to use IoT to notify people in a way that they want to be communicated with in, digi in a digital format. I think there's a much more, uh, yes, but there's a much bigger and potentially more impactful use of the IoT stuff, and that's mm. in evidence bases for local plans and, um, yeah. uh, and EIA and things like that. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole load of um, equipment out there now that has a data exhaust that's just pumping out ones and zeros about air quality, traffic numbers, mm. you know, whatever else it is that, you know, at the moment, if you want to provide that evidence base, you could commission a consultant to write you a very long and wordy PDF mm. um, that, that demonstrates whatever it is you want to demonstrate. There's no re reason why that those data exhausts shouldn't be harnessed much more efficiently into the plan maker system. You get a live, a live feedback loop then of, of, of action and reaction, which, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, okay, because we've now said like 10 different things that need to happen. Okay, yeah. what's, the, what's the number one <coughs> thing that we want to see done? Order priority. I'll start with you, Alex. I think I think with, with with local authorities, I think it's um, you know we, we've got to acknowledge that we're starting from a very low base with very limited resource. I think what we need is obviously just sort of the very simple stuff like what are the data standards that you want? How do you want us to publish um, documents? And how do you want us consulting with people in a, in a more digital way? In in a way that's you know that takes into account the resource that we have and doesn't require you know obviously we've got the day-to-day -day mm. job to do as well um you've got to take that into account there too so we just want some sort of very basic things that we can be doing on a day-to-day -day basis which doesn't really need sort of loads and loads of resource to do on top of mm. all the things that we're doing now because um, we're doing it in order of priority yeah. i actually agree that's okay. probably the first priority <laughs> but i say after you've done that um one of the other things you need to do is uh, there's, a, there's a lot of subjectivity in mm. our planning system at mm. the moment. You know, it's the unless material considerations indicate otherwise bit in the act, which which basically allows under the right circumstances the plans to be set aside mm. and the officer to make their own decision about whether this should go ahead or not. Um, you know, and subjectivity is right. You know, there is there is a, a place for um, for uh, an informed planning opinion mm. in making decisions. However, that doesn't lead itself to um, uh, Efficiencies, automation, certainty. The the in, the um, development industry, the public wants certainty in the planning. Mm. So they want to know what's going to happen, mm. um, and they want to know whether development is or isn't going to happen. 
Um, and while there is so much subjectivity in the system, the certainty is, is missing. Mm. So we want more certainty in the system. More certainty. Yeah, wouldn't we all though? That would just be amazing. <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, I mean, in theory, if the local plan system worked, this has been allocated, this is where this is going to be built. It, you know, great, you've got the certainty. Um, but I do agree, just back to the main point, is I think standard, get a data standard. You know, if, if the, the problem will be, I think, that, that if you have government dictating this is the, how, the exact system you're going to use, mm. I think local authorities will, will kick up a fuss for a, a whole number of reasons. But if you just say, look, when you publish the data, it has to look like this. You have to present the information in this way, you, you know, and, and you have to publish it in this format and things like that. Yeah. Is, you know, that can then be applied to any, any set of legislation, mm. any, any sort of local plan process you want. Um, but, and, and then you can get 320 people to go, go mental, design the system how you want, use who you want to do it. But if the legislation says it has to look like this and has to, at the minimum requirements have to be X, Y, and Z, then I think you'll get what you want. You, okay, yes, you might get 320 different colors and you know, all the various different things, but the, the, the sort of foundations will be there. I think that's step one. Yeah. Um, and then you, I mean, you'd want to do a lot more than that. But I think, <laughs> I think step that's priority. step one, yeah. And, yeah. and um, it, would, it would make uh, everyone in the industry's job easier. And I think it would, that would also help the public as well. Yeah. And, and I don't think the one thing you want to try and avoid is cost, I think, because okay. that's going to be one of the big problems that local authorities have yeah. is like, great, yeah, you've told me I need to completely rebuild my, my system. Mm. You know, I can't spend anything. You know, if you look, some of them look like they're held together by pieces of string at the moment. <laughs> um, and so, you know, is saying to them, you have to completely trash that and, and do okay. something new. No, I think if you just said, look, it has to be presented this way. Um, although I think one of the second problem is then fund. Local, you know, local, local government, government yeah. much more. Planning. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> I think. Go on. No, no, add to that. Well, I was gonna, only going to say that um, the planning system we've got at the moment is a, is a relic. Mm. It's a relic of, of the 20th century. Yeah. Um, and if you look around the world, like often in, in planning, particularly, we view the UK planning system as this like beacon of how it should be done around the world. But I think if we looked around to other parts of mm. the world, we would be able to see how it's done better yeah. and we don't have to reinvent the wheel mm. um you know there are some great examples um you know australia is 10 years ahead of us easily yeah. in terms of in terms of um simplifying and streamlining the system using digital because it's not about using digital digitizing the system for the sake of it you know it's about it's about um using that as a means to the end and the end is a system that works better yeah and I wonder, in terms of the resourcing issues that we have in, in the planning and local government, if digitising or automating some of these exercises would free up people's time and solve some of that resourcing mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, what was your, what's your number one? So my number one, and I'll give a number two. Number one is that we need, we need a non-politicism, excuse me, I'll use the word, a non-political entity okay. that directs the affairs of what all local authorities should be doing. Okay. So what I'm basically saying there is, if you have a, um, an, an entity that is not subject to changes with the housing minister, and they're able to dictate how things are meant to happen from a digitization point of view, I reckon that in itself should solve a lot of problems and have the authority and the delegated authority by the government to be able to put these initiatives in place and also police people that are not doing it as well. So that's number one. And the second thing, which is the most important above all, is user experience because mm -hmm. user experience is how 
my grandma's going to interface with the planning system, how my daughter may say, oh, what's that? Why is that there? And this house is so small and that tower block's there. So it's just a matter of just um, user experience and just considering all the ages. Because when you do your local plans, I've seen our local plan at B First and Barking and Dagenham, you always see the drawings of little kids drawing and it shows that everyone is engaged in their community. So how do we make the user experience for people that are not technical, non-technical, all the way to the most technical who we are, how do we experience the system? So I think user experience, user experience. Is, is, is very important. Yeah, I think the, the, the use of the word technical there has uh, um, sparked another thought, which is planning is full of technical specialisms, yeah. right? Mm. So you've got your, your transport modelers, your flood mm. modelers. Having, um, having a, a speciality of a data analyst, yeah. getting, getting people into the system who are who are trained in um, data management, data analytics, because there's a whole lot of this data which local authorities have got lying around, mm -hmm. yeah. which they don't know about, yeah. and pulling it together and putting it to use. Yeah. The data is the new gold, right? Yeah. You need to be able yeah. to to harness what you've got and make it useful. You know, people like myself and Alex who are like pl planners, mm. you know, we, we're often the, the kind of the glue that binds all these other technical specialisms mm. together. We don't need to know everything about data. I think it would be unreasonable to expect, to expect that, that, but we, we, we know now there is a role for that and it needs to be championed. Mm -hmm. I have one more question, and just before we, we wrap up, is do you think, and to your point, it's the role of, the, of local government um, and the public sector to deal with the issues around planning, or do you think it's a private issue and we should privatise the process? Um, and make it a free for all. Well, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a selfish answer to that, and then there's, <laughs> a, uh, there's the correct answer, right? Yeah. The, the selfish an answer is obviously private companies would love, in some ways, they love the fact that it's so bad, right? Because that, that's, a, that's an opportunity. But um, I do think, you know, it's the job of local authorities, well, the data comes from the local authorities yeah. themselves, right? So it's not, the problem with doing the private sector is it is literally someone in the local authority presenting the data in some way, and then the someone else just going well they've done that not the way it should be let's do it the right way mm. that's just incredibly inefficient mm. and you're still paying someone to do it yeah. so you why not the, the logical answer is just basically this is the way you should do it do it that way that fixes the whole problem yeah. if you see what i'm saying yeah. so um it has to be has to be publicly done, publicly done. um it, obviously then i think you know, once the data is there and it's presented in a, in a good way, you can then, then the private sector is then great, then, you know, what innovations can you bring around? For example, you know, um, uh, automatically assigning, you know, a call for sites, right, or assessing call for sites sites. That's something that if you have all, the, the data is there in theory, you know, all the sort of constraint data and everything else, you should be able to come to a really clear idea about which sites, you know, uh, should or shouldn't come forward and so on. Um, that's the sort of power that you can have, but the problem is the foundations aren't there. Mm. So, sorry, quick answer is public. Public? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think obviously, the decision making aspect of planning, so in, in the, p the political um, agenda setting, you know, growth targets mm. through, the, through the local plan, that needs to be, you know, it's a, it's a public mm. service. Um, equally, the decision making again, you know, so the actual signing off applications should be, you know, it's a democratic. Mm -hmm. There's no way you can do that through the private sector. That said, uh, if you look at the amount of um, private sector people who are working in the public sector, you know, through the likes of Capita mm. and others who are providing staff to the local yeah. authorities now, yeah. um, arguably 
the um, the, the system is already being run by the by the. Um, B first is an example. Well, well, slightly um, is an interesting example because yeah, B first is an example, but that's still wholly owned by the council. Mm. But um, you know, the, the you know, but B first also have their consultants that they use, mm. who are private sector consultants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, there there's there are um, there is already a, a high level of private sector involvement in the public sector system. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I would, so I've always found it very odd that you have a consultant working on a year then submits it to the, pub, uh, the public sort of local council to get that assessed. They spend three months marking their homework and then you know, they've got to wait the sort of response back and trying to work through the comments that the council has, have sort of made on that application and what changes need to be made. Why can't that just be a system that both of the private and the public sector work together mm -hmm. to come to a, a solution on, on what a, the site should be delivering in terms of affordable housing, you know, what are the limits on viability and, and the amount of public space that can be delivered, make those decisions there and then. And sort of saying about be first, you know, we've got develop our own sort of development team and the sort of the planning team as well, who are sort of working on a regular basis, sort of working out what what would that policy mean, like what what do we need to deliver, how sh how do we should we be shaping that scheme, and it, it comes to sort of really good results because you've you've sort of worked together throughout that process rather than you sort of just passing it from from one side to the other, and you're, you're all sort of trying to working out what do they want and what, you know why have they done this or anything like that. And so we're looking for more collaboration. Yeah. 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 Would you agree? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and there's a philosophical point around if you had the opportunity to create the world, yeah, what what position would you put yourself in? That's question number one. And then the second question would be, <laughs> if you were then to wake up in your new world, what would you be if you wasn't that person and you were the least person? So that argue, the reason I, I raised that point is to say that the public sector, the private sector, if you gave them the opportunity to create the world, <laughs> they'll be looking like, what's the movie, Tokyo 3000? <laughs> there'll be buildings everywhere. Like, it, it just wouldn't, you wouldn't have breathable spaces. You won't, it would just be horrible. So I feel that um, the public sector are best place. In, 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 yeah, definitely. To police, to deliver, and to look out for the public interest. Definitely. One of the, uh, you know, as a, uh, I have to, as a, as a chart planner, bang the drum of why planning has been around. You know, one of the one of the reasons it was created as a profession was about public health, about mm. about avoiding you know, clearing the slums and replacing unhealthy yeah. environments. And you look at um, the kind of housing that is created when you take planning yeah. out of yeah. this out of the permitted development. Exactly. You know, the the office de resi uh, permitted yeah. development. You know, is is creating the slums of the future. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and and that is uh, arguably what happens when you when you uh, you know take the checks and balances of the planning system yeah. out of the equation. Yeah. No, definitely agree. Okay, thank you guys. <laughs> we're, we're having to wrap up such an interesting conversation. Could have probably gone on for hours, but thank you for joining us for uh, to, to discuss digitizing the planning system. This is season two of the Property Development Book Club podcast, recorded at City Hall in Royal Docks. If you have any, if you want to get in touch with any of our panel members, please do. But also please like, share and subscribe. This is the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that the views expressed are of the individuals and do not represent their employers and should not be taken as advice. Please do your own research and seek advice from an appointed professional.